We're going to be looking first at the first two verses of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I'm glad we get so much of Peter in the Bible. After 2,000 years of church history and tradition, all the apostles seem very far off. They seem set up on a pedestal. You know, maybe we think of them as top tier in a class of their own. And that's a good thing because they are, in a way. Jesus did set up his apostles as a one-time, once-for-all office. They were to give eyewitness testimony to the resurrection. They were authorized to speak for Jesus on earth. And that authority and role is not repeatable. For that reason, we may think of them as being too holy for us to really understand. We may praise God for them while all at the same time really hoping that our lives are quite different from theirs. Every one of them knew what Jesus meant when he commanded, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. It wasn't figurative language. They saw it was a cross of wood that he meant. And many of them would die on a cross of wood just like Jesus did. They literally gave up everything to follow Jesus. And so it's very easy for us to think and look at them and say, those guys, they are the super Christians, top tier. They, they have way more faith than I will ever have. You know, if I, were, if I had that kind of faith, maybe I, could, maybe I could be like them. But you know what? I'm just a guy living out in the middle of nowhere. I don't have a seminary degree. I don't understand all that stuff Jesus is saying in the Gospels. I just do my job. And you know what? I'm really not cut out for that extreme kind of Christian life. I've had opportunities to witness and evangelize to people, and I, you know, I just get nervous and kind of shut up. I'd really just rather go out and fish. And if you think that I'm ragging on you, I'm not. I'm just describing Peter's life. This is why I like him. He could fit in with any hardworking rural flyover country. We look at him in the Gospels, and it's Hard to take him seriously sometimes. He's just a fisherman, after all. Just remember all his blunders. He was always quick to speak. And when Jesus meets, meets him in a fishing boat and tells him, along with the others who are there, to let down their nets one more time, Peter has to say, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And I can imagine Peter being kind of frustrated. Listen here, who are you? I've been fishing my whole life. We fished hard all night. There were no fish here. We're not going to catch some right now. 
But then Jesus gives him that look that says, don't you trust me? And so he quickly adds, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Or at the Last Supper, when Jesus reveals that all the disciples will leave him, and Peter brazenly says, even if I have to die, I will not leave you. And all it took was the words of a little servant girl to scare him away into denying Christ three times. And after the resurrection, having seen the empty tomb, having met the risen Christ, Peter goes out seemingly unchanged from that experience. One of those places where I'm going to ask you to open your Bible because we're going to be looking at a big chunk. John chapter 21, so turn there. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now, who hasn't heard that a thousand times in North Dakota from somebody? I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. After all that time with Jesus, walking with him for three years, after Peter's traitorous denial, after the cross and the grave, after seeing the risen Lord with his own eyes, all Peter could do now was go back to the way of life that he knew before. I'm going fishing. And this is one of the reasons I really, really appreciate that the Lord gives us all this information about Peter's life. Because he's so much like me, and I think like many of us. We, we have been shown the truth. We... <laughs> We know who Jesus is, and yet, it doesn't change us, or it doesn't seem to change us. But, Peter doesn't get it yet. Jesus doesn't leave him there. Peter is a failure of a disciple. He denied his Lord. But Jesus comes to him now in the very same place he originally found him, fishing all night without a catch. And Jesus restores Peter. Again in John 21, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Go down a couple verses. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Why does Jesus ask three times? I think it's to meet the three denials that Peter denied Christ. Now with three affirmations that he loves him. And with this admonition three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. So instead of denying his love for Jesus three times, being the final saying, it's his affirmation that is final. And now instead of going out and weeping bitterly, he has a calling to fulfill. And it's recorded in the book of Acts that we see that by the power of God's Spirit, Peter does become a leader tending to Christ's sheep. And this letter, 1 Peter, is itself a way that he fulfills his calling. And so with that, we've gotten through the first word. And I'll go a little bit faster on the rest of them. So, elect exiles of the dispersion. That's what he calls these folks. And these first two verses are Peter's introduction. He's giving a preview of this letter right at the beginning. And it's chock full of some of the richest allusions to his Jewish heritage. But he's not writing exclusively to those who share his heritage. There, there are surely some Jewish Christians scattered about. But the majority here are Gentile converts. They're those who don't descend physically in the flesh from Abraham. And Peter, who had once foolishly denied the gospel to the Gentiles, is now confirming to them all the blessings of God to his people. Every word he says about his recipients is rooted in God's promises to Israel. He calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. And that's a very technical category. It comes from the Babylonian captivity of Judah. And also when Israel was taken into captivity before there. The people were cast out of their promised land and were scattered in all the nations. Look with me at Jeremiah 29. For thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations in all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile." And many of the Jews did not return to live in Israel. But they stayed in the lands where they were driven. And over time, it was even gone further out 
And so they were known as the dispersion, the diaspora. They were elect because they were God's chosen people, but they were exiles because they weren't in their native land. We see this, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. It said, now there were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Jews from every nation. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. There's Jews in, I mean, this list is basically the entire known world, A to Z, where the Jews are. And they've come to Jerusalem because it's time for Pentecost, which was actually a Jewish ceremony, a Jewish religious event before it was the coming of the Holy Spirit. So they all gathered, and they all had these native tongues because they were all dispersed. They were in all these different nations. So Peter is using this term now, which was exclusively for God's people exiled in other nations. And now he understands that the people of God truly are scattered among all the nations, but not just the Jews. Because the promised Messiah was not just for the Jews. He would save the Gentiles also. Just as Isaiah says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Which is great news for us because we are the Gentiles. We're the people that didn't descend from Abraham. And the blessing is ours too. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, there are words here that have become contentious in modern arguments. Elect, foreknowledge. But I want you to see how these words are first rooted in God's promises to his people Israel. Peter didn't come up with this. It's not a New Testament concept. To turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, as the people are about to enter the promised land, Moses tells them this from the Lord. He's giving them this as a warning. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Again, Peter is taking this blessing that once only the Jewish people could claim. And now he is laying it upon the shoulders of these Gentiles because of Jesus Christ. He says later in this chapter, First uh, Peter 1, chapter, verse 20, it says of Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And because Jesus was chosen and loved, by God the Father, everyone that comes to God through him is too. Because for sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. And this too is a privilege first enjoyed by God's own Israel. They were sanctified, they were set apart from all the other nations around them. They were God's special people not like other nations. God gives them this law in Leviticus, saying, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. But now instead of ritual purity laws that marked out the Jewish people because they didn't eat certain foods or wear certain clothing or do all kinds of other things that the nations around them did, now instead of that, what sets the people of God apart is faith in Jesus Christ. For obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what he says. For obedience to Jesus Christ. And this obedience... Is not some sort of law-keeping. You keep the rules, and therefore you're, you're set apart for God as long as you keep the rules. No, it's, it's the obedience, the initial obedience, which is to have faith in Christ. 1 Peter 1, verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, purified, sanctified, or what Paul in Romans calls the obedience of faith. Or as Jesus tells some followers of his in John chapter 6, when they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They want to know, what's the, what's the thing? What do I have to do? What, what, what gets me in? And Jesus turns it around and says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So we are now set apart for God, not because we strictly follow hundreds of stipulations about foods and washings and sacrifices, but because we have believed in Jesus and we have been sprinkled with his blood. We heard that at the scripture reading this morning. Finally, Peter not only bestows 
the blessings of God's covenant people Israel and the Gentiles, he actually surpasses them. Because Moses, when he made the covenant with, between God and Israel by sprinkling the people with the blood of sacrifices, it was the blood of bulls and goats. Exodus 24. After the burnt offerings and the sacrifices of peace offerings, Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Not sanitary. And Aaron and every high priest after him each year would make atonement for the people's sins by sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron shall present the bull of, as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer of coals from the fire of the altar of the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil where the Ark of the Covenant was in the in the tent, behind the veil, which no one could go except the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then it goes on, He shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. Blood of bulls and goats. Real, real blood sprinkled and thrown all over the temple, all over the tabernacle, all over the people for the forgiveness of their sins. But now, what Peter is saying is that Jews and Gentiles alike actually have much better blood sprinkled on them. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And that's how Peter can give these promises over to Gentiles like you and I. Not because we earned them. Not because it's our heritage. Not because Abraham is our father. But only because we are among those that the Father foreknew. And because of that, we have been set apart by His Spirit that we would believe in Jesus His Son, who by His blood cleansed us from our sins once for all time 
and gave to us all the blessings of God for his people. Jews and Gentiles were not supposed to like each other. Gentiles had been persecuting Jews for millennia. Pharaoh king of Egypt put them into slavery and tried to kill them off. The nations around offered no assistance during the 40 years in the wilderness. The Canaanites tried to plow them under as slaves or remove them altogether from the land. Assyria and Babylon scattered them from their promised land. And at the time of writing, when Peter wrote this, Rome was the occupying enemy force in Israel. But this animosity that had grown over all of, really, the entire existence of the Jews had no longer any place for Peter. Because Jesus was not just Israel's salvation. Jesus was the Savior of the whole world. So in Jesus, the Gentiles are as blessed as the Jews. Back in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, foolish Peter, still thought Jesus was going to bring peace for Israel by overthrowing all her enemies. He expected a political uprising. And that's why he took out his sword and cut off the servant's ear. It was finally time these Gentiles got what they deserved. But that was not the victory that Jesus was about to bring. So Jesus, doing what I imagine he had to do a thousand times before, rebuked Peter and corrected him. Because Jesus' command to love extends beyond people who look like us, act like us, and live like us. Jesus loved those who crucified him. And because of that, he was victorious. He wasn't victorious in spite of the cross. He was victorious because of the cross. And through that lens of the cross and the resurrection, Peter saw how that victory occurred, not by overcoming enemies with power, but by overcoming evil with good. And this is not a kumbaya, can't we all just get along thing. This is the power of the risen God Almighty, who could crush the nations under his feet. So Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace, which was the greeting that the Gentiles used when seeing each other. But for them, it really just meant something like, good luck, good to see you, hope you're happy, hope you're having a good day. But it was not the grace of good luck and good fortune. It was the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ. 
and peace. Not the peace of worldly power and security that the Jews, Peter with them, hoped their Messiah would bring, but the peace with God and with each other because of what Jesus had done. Is that what you think you need? Because that's what Peter knows we need. Or do you live like good luck and good times are all you really need to get along in life? Do you, do you live like all you need is to live in a place that can keep their thumb on every other place around them and doesn't have war within its borders? Is that where you find your peace and security? Is that what your promised land looks like? Because that's not the grace be multiplied to you that Peter is giving you. That's not the peace be multiplied to you that Peter is giving you. Peter bestows all these blessings, all the blessings he can think of and name upon the Gentiles, upon the Christians, whether they be Jew or Greek, Barbarian, North Dakotans, South Dakotans, Minnesotans, whether you like the Packers or the Vikings, cats or dogs. Because their Jesus, the Jesus that they trust in, is the Jesus that Peter trusts in. And the Jesus that Peter trusts in is our Jesus. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I too, because of that, I can say to you, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen.